The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So greetings again. and Today we're coming to the end of this series on the Four Noble Truths. And in this penultimate talk, um, we're talking about the Fourth Noble Truth. And I want to um, now say what I've said repeatedly, that there are many interpretations of these Four Noble Truths. And uh, probably all of them are, there are, exist because someone found it beneficial. And that different interpretations are beneficial in different contexts, in different situations of our life. And to know different interpretations means we have a bigger toolbox by which to meet our life and respond to our life and hopefully in a wise way. Uh, and um, the uh, most common interpretation of the Four Noble Truths uh, goes something like this that uh, there is suffering in the world, not that life is suffering, but to the degree to which there is suffering, the suffering has a cause. And that cause uh, is represented by the word craving, the clinging, the compulsive kind of um, wanting that exists for human beings, maybe a kind of addiction sometimes, attachment. And the cessation of that uh, of suffering is involves a letting go, the abandonment, the putting down of that craving, that clinging, that attachment. However, it's not easy to do so. Uh, these attachments that we have can be very, very deeply rooted. They can be deeply, um, um, even subconscious. We can't even see some of the ways that we're attached. And Sometimes our suffering, we know we're suffering, but it's just a big mass of suffering. It, we don't see any causes and conditions for it. It's just we're just feeling lousy and bad. Um, so uh, because of the challenges of letting go deeply and experiencing this freedom from suffering, uh, there is a path. There is a set of practices a person can do that sets the conditions in place, that begins clearing the field, helps us to settle, helps us to seek deeply and clearly, helps the mind uh, develop its capacity to see deeper and deeper into what's going on, that we can really come to the place of liberation. And that path is uh, represented in the Four Noble Truths by the Eightfold Path. So the practice for the cessation of suffering is the Noble Eightfold Path, or it's the, the, uh, the path of the Noble Ones. It's a path for those who become ennobled. So the, the path towards freedom. And so it's a wonderful set of eight practices uh, that um, uh, are not beliefs that we have to believe, but practices that we engage in that begin changing uh, how we are, change the conditions who we are. They allow us to live in a more contented way, more settled way. The middle parts of the Eightfold Path have to do with ethics, have to do with uh, sila, with our behavior, not you know, to live by the precepts and uh, speak properly and you know, speak without causing harm and have livelihood that doesn't cause harm. 
And if we live a life of uh, harmlessness, it's easier to be relaxed about ourselves, to feel good about ourselves. And we don't have the agitation and the regrets and all the things that make it hard to settle. Um, the, we, it's useful to go about the world with the right attitude, the right intention, uh, and to ha- go around with the intentions of being hostile or unfriendly or being greedy for pleasures um, is not a very conducive way of living a life if what a person wants is to really settle enough in the mind, quiet the mind, calm the mind, open oneself deeply so that we can really connect to what's going on in a much deeper way inside to find our freedom from suffering. So then the second of the factor of the Eightfold Path is this right intention, uh, right attitude, which is uh, sometimes defined as an attitude of compassion or sometimes as an attitude of harmlessness. More literally, it's harmlessness and an attitude of non-ill will of goodwill, of kindness, friendliness. And those attitude is not like you should do this, like a requirement. It's more like if what you want is to create the conditions for a mind, a heart that's settled enough to really be present for experience, it helps if you live with these attitudes, live with these approaches, intention. And then it helps also to cultivate mindfulness, to really be settled and practice a lot of mindfulness. The more we can practice um, the more prepared we are for the difficulties of life. To finally start to be mindful when things are difficult might be too late. We don't have the inner strength to do so. And the same thing with concentration, that develop a mind's capacity to be really focused, calm, unified, present is one of the great pleasures of life. And it also helps us again to encounter suffering, to encounter ourselves in a deep way and an effective way. And, uh, and then right effort, you know, the endeavor to live well. And then we come, so I'm kind of going through them all quickly and out of order, but then the first one is right view. And uh, right view has many interpretations or many explanations for what it is. And it has, again, has to do with the context. The, uh, the core understanding is that right view is seeing the world through the framework of the original idea of the Four Noble Truths. There is suffering, the arising of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and this is the, this, seeing the arising and ceasing of suffering, this is the way forward. It's more of a meditative experience. It's really deep, being with the arising and passing experience. That's the classic idea of right view. The Buddha also gave other ideas of right view. And, um, and some of them are more practical for everyday life. And one of the very important ones it has to do with causality or consequence. That what we do has consequences. That uh, we, not, we don't uh, do things and we're, you know, and there's no traces, nothing left over. That if we act with uh, skillful intentions, skillful qual- qualities will come somehow be supported and be developed. If we do things with unskillful things, unskillfulness is developed and suffering occurs. So act with hate, and the, uh, the results of hate are not pleasant. Act with uh, love, the results of love, done wisely, have good results. Generosity, wisdom, all these things. 
and that what we do and how we do things are not inconsequential. Even how what we think and how we think about things is not inconsequential for the purposes of becoming free. If you're interested in the path of freedom, this is not a moral obligation or a moral judgment on things, but rather it's a very practical concern that if you're interested in the freedom from suffering, then you want to take into account a lot of care with how you behave and the conditions you set in place and, and the, uh, uh, being careful to put good consequences into place. I mean, so it could be so simple as maybe if you uh, drive to work and you're always harried because you're always leaving in the last possible minute. Um, the consequences of that, you get to work harried and you're not particularly kind to people or happy when you get there. So maybe you leave work five minutes early, leave home five minutes early so you can drive in a relaxed way and drive much more calm. And that sets the conditions for a better circumstance for continuing to be attentive and practice as we go through our life. So the idea being that there are these all these sets of practices that are actually very wise things to do, to learn those eight sets of practices, have them under our belt, understanding of them, and pick them up at different times and different circumstances. And uh, the... Um, and if there, there can be could, uh, really good for beginners in Buddhism to do, and they're begin, good for people who've been practicing for some times, and they're good for people who are quite experienced in Buddhism. The, the Eightfold Path is always part of the path, always part of the deal of Buddhism. It's kind of like defines the, the core practices of Buddhism, this Eightfold Path. And so in this interpretation I'm giving today, this the Eightfold Path is good for beginners. Uh, know your suffering, know the cause, whatever way you can. Let go of that cause. And if you can't let go of it or to want to go further on this, cultivate the Eightfold Path. And what I said yesterday, the Eightfold Path is also the the. So it's not a. It's not. A, so that's a prescription. The Eightfold Path is a prescription of what to do. The Eightfold Path is also presented as a, as a description of what liberated people are like. That once a person becomes really free of attachments and clinging, their life, how they live their life, is in fact um, uh, defined or described by the Eightfold Path, even without actively doing it, because it's the absence of clinging that leads us to do these good things. Without clinging, there's no unethical behavior, is the Buddhist definition of it. So when you really let go of clinging, you will follow the ethical pieces of the Eightfold Path and so forth. So this is very interesting that f- for beginners we have the Eightfold Path, for the, for the uh, people who are really awakened, there's the Eightfold Path. And so they kind of represent both the life of a beginner and someone's advanced. And so I like to think of that the practice that we do, the pract- any practice we do, the practice of the Eightfold Path, meditation and all that, um, it mirrors or contains elements of the goal <clears throat> of freedom itself. And one of the ways to practice is to allow ourselves to practice so that the means contains part of the goal. 
that not consider the goal and the means so separate from each other, um, but the, the, to allow the goal to be inhabit or to be embodied in the very means, in how we practice. And what this means is that whatever practice we're doing in Buddhism, that we're being very careful that we're not clinging as we do it. We're not being ambitious or selfish or conceited or, uh, um, you know, or hard on ourselves or disappointed or critical of ourselves or how we're doing. All that represents a kind of um, the going in the opposite direction of the practice. Rather, to include the goal in the means means that even for a beginner of practice, we take on these practices kind of with an open hand, with, with a kind of lightness or gentleness or, or a, um, um, you know, just a, very, a, a radical simplicity without needing it to be a certain way or wanting it to be a certain way or pushing or clinging or having it to be a certain way but to enter into the practice with a generosity and an openness and a clarity or a calmness, whatever degree of non-attachment, non-clinging we can have, in particular, a kind of a gentleness and an openness and non-clinging to our clinging that we have. So we're not using the, as we do this practice, we learn um, to recognize and see much more clearly what's going on for us it's an introspective practice and we see our clinging and our hostility and our greeds and all the things that we have. Um, and so rather than using that to suffer more, we try to meet it, to be touched by it. So we hold it gently and kindly, supportively. We don't get involved with it, we don't condone it, but we also don't criticize it or get contracted or get angry or mean about it. So the fact that the Eightfold Path in different ways of seeing it is a beginner's practice and advanced practitioner's practice. It's the practice, it's the life of those who have let go of clinging. And it's the areas where we practice non-clinging right from the beginning of practice. Right from the start, we kind of, okay, let's do right view, right intention, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is what we do, but let's be careful how we do it. Let's do it with determination, with clarity, with dedication, with love, but also without uh, further clinging, without further... Uh, using it as material to be critical of ourselves. Because if Buddhism at the heart of it is the end of suffering, is a path to the end of suffering, please don't use Buddhism and Buddhist practice as another reason to suffer. That's, that doesn't make any sense, right? So please, as you engage in this Buddhist practice and the Buddhist teaching, um, be careful that you don't suffer because of it. Don't use it as something to be critical of yourself or critical of other people. They're not living up to a Buddhist standard. Always keep close by that as we walk this Eightfold Path, we walk the path of Buddhism, we're doing it so we don't suffer. 
And so that the, the goal is found in the means. Maybe only a hint in the beginning, but that the goal grows and develops and expands as the means incorporates the goal more and more into it. So rather than a goal out there in the future, the goal is already here and we're expanding it, we're developing it, growing it um, until it's fully mature in us. So Eightfold Path. So thank you very much for today and tomorrow will be the last talk of this series on uh, the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. And then at the end, um, I will, tomorrow I'll take a little bit of time for, uh, if you want to stay and ask, ask some questions in the chat, uh, that would be wonderful. Thank you.